0: Hello and welcome to Tokyo Inklings. My name is Cy. You can find me on my website at tokyostationpens.com, on Instagram at tokyostationpens, and on Twitter at tokyostationmnh.
1: And my name is Jacob, and I'm a fan on Instagram and on Twitter, and I have a blog at foodafan.com. All right, so uh, thank you
0: very, very much, Jacob, and as well as all of the listeners for tuning back in. Um, I, I think I want to start reading reviews because after we read our last review, we suddenly got an influx of, uh, of written reviews on iTunes, which is, uh, which is very encouraging. And, um, so I'm really happy to hear that and really please if you enjoy the podcast, please consider uh writing a review for us, telling a friend, telling, I don't know, your coworker, your family member, whoever that you think might enjoy our content. Um, you know, anybody who likes Japanese stationery or Asian stationery in general, I think could really benefit from uh from listening to our show, and that is one way that you can um help us uh continue to make this podcast. Now, um I think before every episode, I would like to read a review because we really have some great reviews coming in. And I know Jacob, you are a bit apprehensive because you you know you kind of get nervous about um getting bad reviews. But fortunately, we have mostly five star reviews. There's one one star review, which uh which maybe I'll read later. But um, but I want to get through our five star reviews because it's really um you know our our listeners really say such nice things about us. Okay. So, um. Let me re- read this review by 82 Greg. 82 Greg says, Great show! Tokyo Inklings provides a great insight to the Japanese pen users slash collectors community, which is hard to learn about due to language barrier. CY and Jacob provide interesting viewpoints into the developments in Japan that can reach out to the US pen user slash collector community. I learned a lot! Exclamation mark. Thanks a lot, 82 Greg. Nice. We really, really appreciate your review. And uh, and yeah, that's exactly what we're trying to do, really to, you know, um, we said at the beginning of this, uh, of this show, I think all the way back in episode one, we said there's really not a lot of English language information that you can find on the Japanese pen world. And, you know... Exactly what he wrote in this review, you know, providing insight to the Japanese users collectors community, which mm. might be hard to learn due to the language barrier. That's exactly what we're trying to achieve. So thank you very much, Greg. Thank you. Now, if you have a review that you would like for us to read, um, maybe you have some thoughts about uh, the show. You you like a certain aspect? Please don't hesitate to to write it down so that other people can also learn why you like this uh, podcast and uh, why you recommend it. So thank you very much. Now, um, you know, we've kind of started to get into this uh, this format uh, of the show where we start with our acquisitions, because somehow every two weeks we we manage to buy new stuff, which um, is kind of crazy. Um, so we'll start with the acquisitions, and then we'll go on to the news. But we have some interesting acquisitions, uh, you know, from both of us, actually. Yeah. In very different ways. So, Jacob... Uh, do you mind actually letting me start with my acquisitions? Because I think yours will segue better into our new segment. Sure, go ahead. So um, my my first one is not really an acquisition, but it's more of a modification. I think we've droned on and on about how much we love the Moonman T1, mm. uh, for me particularly in brass. Um, but actually, I really, really enjoy another pen, and that pen is the Montblanc Blanc martelet Ah, yes. And... I think that's just such a cool and unique pen for the hammered finish that they have. Mm. And um, I've learned that actually I can make my own hammered finish uh, using my handheld Dremel. Of course. I've also learned that a it's a pain in the butt. <laughs> but I've successfully over the last week created a Moonman um, T1 Martele where mm. I've recreated a hammered finish uh, on my Moonman T1. Mm. And what I've done is I've actually rounded out the facet. So it's a round pen now. And um, and I've done everything, including the cap, the section, the piston knob, and even the inside of the piston connector. So <laughs> I think that looks uh, pretty cool. And I think this pen will probably go to our friend Kui. Um I promised her that I would make her a raw brass pen. And ah, she seemed to... Yeah, she seemed to really enjoy mm. this one that I had done. So uh, I'll probably put this aside for her. And I'll probably not make another one. At least not uh, the full Martelet because it just takes such a long time. And I was actually talking to um, Ian Schoen from Schoen Pen mm. Designs because he had done something similar. I remember seeing that. Yeah. yeah, he had one on his Pocket 6. And uh, I asked him, you know, do you have any feedback or advice? And he says, it looks great. My hands hurt just looking at it. No feedback. <laughs> advice is steer clear. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And yeah, that's exactly what mm-hmm. I told my girlfriend. Um, you know, she said, oh, are you going to sell these? I'm like, no, I'll probably never make another one of these because it just hurts so much to, to make.
1: You know that now you're going to get 10 orders for them, right? So, so you're going to have to make more of them.
0: Uh, maybe not, but um, the thing is, I, I ordered a bunch of the Brass Moonmen, and I do intend to experiment with finishes mm. on each of them. So hopefully I'll have a variety of finishes that I'll be able to show um, with the Maltelay just being one of them. Um, and the Maltelay, I think, will... If I do make them, they will become really, really expensive because it, the cost doesn't justify my time. You know, if I... Mm. I think I, this a pendant like this should sell maybe $200, mm. but... If I break it down in terms of labor by hour, mm. it's, you know, like a third of what I mm. should be making. So it, it just doesn't make sense.
1: You know, it reminds me of a certain other person in the Japanese pen community who has been experimenting with the brass pens for a long time.
0: Ah, <laughs> wonder who that may be. I guess we'll <laughs> get to him in, in a bit. Yes, yes. But yeah, um, maybe he'll see this pen and he'll start experimenting on his own.
1: Yeah, because he was inspired by you the first time, right?
0: Yes, yes, yes. So uh so yeah, we'll see. Yes. And then the second pen that uh that I got in is this uh Shimi no Bungubako and Nakaya uh collaboration exclusive. And this is actually a set uh one of two mm. um uh different models. So they have a model where they have a fountain um, pen nib, mm. it actually says um, Gokfutos, so it's it's the C nib. Mm. Um, it's not actually a C nib, but it's just made in the image of a C nib. And they have that as a uh, roll stop, which is really really uh, cute. Yeah, and that one is gold trimmed. Mm. I think that one is akataminuri, and then the other. One in that set is the one that I got in, mm. which is um, you have a fountain pen, the, an actual pen as yeah. the roll stop. And it kind of looks like a clip, but it's not. And it's absolutely hilarious because it's super whimsical. You know, it's mm. it's fun and you know it's fun. Uh, and it has a wonderful SM nib, which I... Remember, we talked about last yes. week uh, me not being so much of a fan of the SM nib. I have to say, this SM nib, it writes very well, but I still think it's a bit boring mm. in terms of character. But I think what will interest a lot of people about this nib is that it is uh, ruthenium plated. So the actual uh, pen mm. is kuro tamenuri, which is a uh, black tamenuri, um, and that's uh, black on red. Uh, and they have a silver inlay on the section as well. Mm. So um, I showed you this pen last week, Jacob. I, I personally think it's it's beautiful. It's not really going to be uh, living in my collection because it doesn't. Uh, it's not a self filler. Right. But I I think that the pen itself is just absolutely fantastic, and the urushi work is really quite top notch.
1: I really love that that roll stopper, but yeah, some of these. Some of these, you know, very fancy Urushi pants that can look a little bit sort of pretentious, like sort of boardroom mm-hmm. pens. But the yeah, fact yeah. that you have this whimsical roll stopper makes it... I mean, there's, it takes all of that away because it becomes, becomes like a humor, right? I, I, I yeah. love it for, for that reason.
0: Yeah, it's like an inside joke. I think yeah. this is something that fountain pen memes would like.
1: Yes, he would love it.
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so... Um, I'm actually going to be selling this pen cool. uh, because, as I said, it's it's not a self filler, so it doesn't really belong in my collection. But it was just so cute; mm. um, I really wanted to to get it in to, to check it out. And right. Honestly, this pen it doesn't disappoint. Uh, if you're a fan of the soft medium nibs, which is you know a fantastic nib, actually this soft medium nib writes better than uh, probably all of the other ones that I've tried so far. Mm. Yeah. So Jacob, you have um you have some pens and one of the pens you actually got a few weeks in but we we didn't talk about that's the Waverly nib right?
1: Yes I've been buying a few pens from from Mercury as I usually do and 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 one of them was a Pilot 742 with a Waverly nib so I've tried the Waverly nibs in a like Idoia and Marse and I always liked it but didn't spend much time with it and I'm too cheap to buy pens at MSRP in general so I never had my own Waverly nib, but but then I found one uh, on Mercury for a good price. I ended up buying it, and I just love this nib. I, I might even go so far as to say that this might be my favorite nib so far.
0: You know, Jacob, um, your handle is Fudefan. Yes, um, and you don't have Fudes in your in your in your pen collection.
1: I think uh, like Concords and Waverleys are sort of distant cousins to Fude nibs. They sort of belong the same.
0: But um, you think then the Waverly is actually perfect for your use? It's like a mini Fude, isn't it? I mean, describe the Waverly for us.
1: Yeah. Yeah, in a way, it's not that different from, um, you know, PemBBS's, you know, what they call them, the mini Fude nib. And it's... In a way, it's a little bit similar to some um, some vintage mm-hmm. Montblanc nibs. It's a little bit more of a bend here, but it's still not all the way, you know, f- fude. Mm-hmm. And um, whether or not you get line variation depends on how you're holding the pen. I found some articles online saying that the whole point of a wave release is that you it's it's a monoline nib, you're never gonna get line variation. But when I'm writing with, I get almost like a slight brush-like strokes. Um, but it's mm-hmm. it's very smooth while still having a bit of character and and I, I love that. So I think it's probably at least the most interesting pilot nib. So I'm happy that I got this pen. Um, but another thing about this pen is that you know when you when you buy pens second hand in, in Japan in particular, and um, the price tends to be better. If, if, the, if the pen has some kind of engraving. So sometimes, you know, people engrave their names or there's a company name. And that was the case here. So the, uh, the listing on Mercury, it said, there is a company name on the, on the cap. I cannot show you the company name, but just know that there is a company name on the cap. Okay. Fine, I mean, um, I might do Urushi on it anyway, so I don't care. But, okay, I'm curious about why you can't show it to me, but go ahead. Right. So I bought it, and I got it, and there's a company named uh, Sodic on it. What is What does a company called Sodic do? So apparently this is a company based in Yokohama. They do some industrial uh, automation. They make some fancy machines, and they might have one of the most unfortunate... Names <laughs> I've seen, but um... yeah,
0: I have to say that engraving is hilarious.
1: Yeah, I'm almost tempted to to keep it as is and not do urushi yet, just for that reason. But we'll see there might be still be urushi in the future.
0: <laughs> I I want to actually get into a bit um the Waverly nib. Um, you know this is a podcast about Japanese pens, but you know, fountain pens are not indigenous to Japan. And I think the um, the history of fountain pens is actually very, very interesting. Um, notably, for example, you have nibs in Japan uh, that nobody else continues to make, such as the music nib. But somehow these survive in Japan and i think in a way japanese pen makers uh not just pen makers actually japanese industry in general are very good at taking ideas and really perfecting them and the waverly nib actually i think has an interesting history so um if we look you know deep into the history of fountain pens um david nishimura who runs um vintage pens uh he actually has an article about the Waverly nib. Um, he wrote this in 2013, so it's not that long ago in you know the grand scheme of things. But he claims that the creation of the Waverly nib is credited to Duncan Cameron, who in 1850 joined his brothers as one of the principals of the Scottish firm of McNiven and Cameron. And uh, this company actually has made nibs uh, with the word Waverly, engraved uh on the nib so you know McNiven and Cameron and Waverly nibs uh these are things that you can find if you're lucky on eBay and in the patent actually I'm looking at the patent and it does have this upturned nib it says um it says uh they are formed with the extreme tips slightly turned up so the Waverly nib was apparently very, very successful and according to um to David uh was in production for about a hundred years. And yeah, so the company um McNevin Cameron uh they renamed the company to Waverly Cameron in nineteen seventy and you know they, they were dissolved in uh 2012. So apparently Richard Binder uh, had started customizing nibs with upturned tips, which he called the Waverly. Um, and David claims that pen sellers uh, wrongly assumed that the Waverly could be used as a generic term for any nib with an upturned uh, tip. And apparently uh, Waverly nibs were not uh, necessarily invented by Mcniven and Cameron, uh, they actually had original um, nibs that were upturned that were not called Waverly, that were even created by Mcniven and Cameron. Now, my point here is that you saw a lot of imports into Japan uh, in the fountain pen technology area. So we've discussed a bit how Onoto had um massive massive influence on Japanese fountain pens. Actually Onoto is uh the the uh, the vacuum filler. That actually um inspired, I believe, the Japanese eyedropper system. And you have um I, I I can't imagine any other possibility outside of the fact that there must have been waverly nibs that were imported into Japan and um Predominantly Pilot uh, started to make these Waverly nibs as well uh, with the upturned tip. So um, I think this is a really good example of Japanese manufacturing's kind of continuing the spirit of those, uh, let's say, the nibs from, you know, what many people consider to be the golden age of fountain pens. And it's interesting to me that they continue to sell it,
1: um, but they they've really perfected that, right? Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. But, but it's interesting that it's such a—it's still only available on on you know some models. But we know that this um, this small shop in southern Tokyo, Asakihakami, yep. they sell the eight. Three, yep. With, I think, two nib options, right? The yep. Finib and the Waverly. Correct.
0: And when I talked to Yaz, the, um, the shop owner, who is really, really nice, by the way. Um, I really want to go back to to his store. Um, he told me that the Waverly was designed to write extremely smoothly. Mm. That is the purpose of the, the Waverly, at mm-hmm. least from a pilot point of view.
1: Mm-hmm. Makes sense.
0: So, so that's uh, the Waverly. But you've got some uh, other nibs because I passed your nib on <laughs> on Wednesday.
1: Yes. Yeah, so I I got this uh, Pilot Custom Seven Four Three uh, a few months back with this um, this very broad coarse nib and I, suddenly I got interested in you know this, this fat, fat Japanese nibs and I wanted to see how Pilot's core nib compares to other Japanese fat nibs so mm-hmm. this week or last week I got not one but two platinum uh, core nibs it, it just happened and then um and then I borrowed this sailor zoom nib from you because I wanted to test one all three of them you know side by side to mm. see you know how similar they are and what the differences are and Uh, I played around with them a little bit yesterday, and what I would say is that the zoom nib, at least the way I'm holding it, gives me the the broadest line, the fattest line. Uh, The Pilot course nib is second, and I would say Platinum is a fairly distant third place, which I found a little bit interesting. Again, it might be because of the way I'm holding the, the zoom nib, I'm not sure. But mm. but then in terms of feedback, I, I had almost no feedback at all with a zoom nib. So I had mm. almost no character at all when I'm writing with it, which I thought was a little bit boring, a bit bland in that sense. Mm. While Pilot's course nib actually has quite a bit of a sweet spot. Mm-hmm. so if you hold it the right way it's very smooth but just tilt it a little bit and it becomes quite scratchy and and you and the ink flow becomes uneven which i thought was a bit um interesting and then but then platinum is actually my favorite when it comes to feedback because even though it's a caution even though it's very broad it still has a little bit of that subtle and very consistent Pencil feedback that I, that I like so much. So, hmm. I think based on that, the Platinum 3776 Corsham is probably my favorite of the three. But I know that you're not... Uh, you've been a bit <laughs> negative on, on a Platinum recently, so I guess this is not your favorite. My problem with Platinum nibs
0: is that more often than not, you see this time gap. mm in the tines. And I think even the one that you have actually, Mm. uh, I don't think the tipping is, is even, is it?
1: Right. You're right. It's a little bit uneven. Actually on both of them. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Yeah. So I, I think that the quality of the nibs, uh, aren't exactly the best, but here actually, I want to point out that, um, you know, while we're discussing these coarse nibs, actually the coarse nibs, uh, are not just on modern pens, they are on a lot of uh, apparently pilot vintage pens used to have uh, coarse nibs as well. And this to me is quite interesting that the you, you often hear, oh, Japanese um, nibs are finer because... They have to write kanji, so it's made to to write in smaller blocks, blah, 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 blah. I don't necessarily think that that's true. I think it's actually a bit of a fashion thing, isn't it? That there were moments in time and moments in history where Japanese really liked using big fat nibs. Yeah, yeah. I mean, the coarse nib, I think it's bigger than a uh,
1: Western even maybe a Western double broad, no? Yeah, I would say so. I also think it's interesting how different the tipping is on the three pens. Platinum nib is, you know, the roundest of the three. It still has a bit of facets, but I think it looks like the roundest of the three. While Sailor's zoom nib looks like an un- looks like an unfinished Naginata Togi. Yeah, it's faceted. While Pilot's course nib looks like an unfinished stub nib to me. Yeah.
0: Yeah, I I would um, say that you're probably just correct. And for me, you know, what you said is very interesting because I think Pilot actually has the most similarity to Western Mm. nibs, I would say, in terms of the smoothness. Yeah. In terms of even the nibs that they offer, right? They offer, like, stub nibs. They offer uh, the Falcon nib, which which is obviously soft and flexible. They offer actual soft nibs. and, you know, when you say the course is kind of like a, a stubbish character, mm. that kind of copies the old German-style nibs, right?
1: Exactly, yeah, that's true. And they
0: even have a BB nib.
1: Yeah, that's the interesting. So so platinum goes from B to course directly, right? While mm. pilot goes from B to BB to course. Yes, and the BB is very rare.
0: I don't think they make that anymore.
1: Oh, really? Maybe I'm not true. sure, I'm not
0: sure. But I not seen it around very often
1: hmm. that might may, may be the case yeah
0: yeah but but you're exactly right and then sailor goes directly from b to to zoom i guess there's a music in in the middle but um i would say sailor's music is not really i mean by my my definitions i wouldn't call it a true music nib right um even though yes you can write uh vertically with it I would say that that's probably more akin to like a, a unfinished stub nib, so similar to the Pilot BB.
1: Yeah, exactly. I agree. Yeah. Um, But yeah, so you enjoy those pens. I enjoy those pens. I enjoy the Platinum in particular. One thing that was a bit curious was that I, I took these Platinum nibs and I stuck them on a Moonman T1, of course, mm. as one would do. One of them... Didn't really fit in a sense that it sort of sort of fell behind the, the, the feed like into the section almost, mm-hmm. while the other one uh, fit just perfectly. And they're both modern core snips, you know, the, the, this 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 flat shape. Mm. So I don't know what the difference is, but maybe I have to bring both to you, and you can have a look at them and see what yeah. what the difference is.
0: Did you check the feed? Uh, no, I didn't. No. Yeah. Um, yeah. It, it might be. Uh, different eras but you know you'd really need to to take a look at the feed for that yeah but yeah um, you're liking your Oyaji pens black gold trim
1: absolutely absolutely that's my style ugh so boring and actually uh, on that note I've been been um, been enjoying an Oyaji ink so Pelican blue black so let me sort of rewind a bit and explain why Mm -hmm. so as you know, I've been studying for uh, for some exams to so some professional qualifications, and that's been for me a good excuse to use my pens and notebooks mm. um but as I'm taking more and more notes, I become more and more paranoid mm. about you know uh, erasing all the notes with, with uh, some some spilled coffee or or water so right. For the last few weeks, I have been using uh, mostly pigmented inks or um, iron-gold inks. Mm. And, um, and so pigmented inks tend to be a bit, 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 bit uh, high in maintenance, a bit difficult to use. So I've been yeah, mostly... Difficult inter- to clean. Yes, that, that's for sure. And iron-gold inks can be very aggressive depending on which one you want. So I was looking for a sort of weak and very usable iron gold ink. And so so I got this Pelican Blue Black. So I know that in some countries, Pelican Blue Black is not iron gold. And even in Japan, there's been some conflicting report about whether or not it's still iron gold. But as you know, we have this geek and iron gold expert in Japan. We have this guy, Gary. And yes. Gary makes his own iron gall inks, and it also helped Platinum make this classic line of iron gall inks. And Gary buys a bottle of Pelican Blue Black every few months, and he conducts his test and checks <laughs> whether or not they are still iron gall. So I looked at his website and his latest report, and he confirmed that Lot B19, which I guess is last year's uh, Pelican Blue Black still iron gold so so based on that i went to Morrison and i looked for b19 and i found that so that's how i know i have an iron gold version of pelican blue black and i love it you know
0: th- this story is is so fantastic because it just goes to show the kind of uh you know there's no bound to the geekiness right of pen users i mean he, he goes and buys a bottle of blue black every mm. few months to check if it's iron gall. Yeah. <laughs> you know, somebody, somebody hired this guy, really. Because uh, I can't believe he spent so much money to just check, just to make sure that there's still iron gall. Yeah, yeah.
1: <laughs> yeah, but that's. To fantastic. be fair, the Pelican inks, especially the 40, 401 series of inks, yeah. and they're quite, quite cheap. So, but uh, yeah, that's I, true. I appreciate what he's doing.
0: I mean, I'm worried about his storage space. <laughs> Understand <that> too, <laughs> yeah, but um, but yeah, uh, we have quite, I think, an interesting um news segment, yeah, uh, for you because we have some news, uh, three main to- topics, maybe four main topics, yeah, but one of the the more important ones uh, is the Sailor and the Plus collaboration, yeah. Now, I've personally gotten a lot of inquiries, including mm. from uh Brad Dowdy of the Fanatic, mm. Addict, as well as um from Diana from uh from the nib section, yeah, asking me, you know, has Sailor actually mm. been bought out by mm. Plus? Uh you yeah. know, did they convert these convertible bonds? Yeah. Now, I'm not an expert on uh on finance, but I I know somebody who is. Has Sailor been bought out by
1: Plus? Right. So let me first preface this by saying that I'm not an expert on CBs, so I could still be wrong here, but let's go back to the beginning and explain what has and hasn't happened. First of all, to recap what we said a few episodes back, we say that Sailor has issued something called convertible bonds. And we say that the company called Plus has bought these convertible bonds. So I want to explain a bit more about what that actually means. So let's start with absolute basics. So what is a bond? So, A bond is basically like an IOU. So let's say you are a company and you want to build a new factory. And you don't have the cash at hand to do that. So you need to raise capital. And there are a few different ways you can do that. Um, one way is to issue bond, bonds. And let's explain by example what that means. So let's say you issue a one million five year bond that means that whoever is buying that bond is effectively lending you one million yen for a duration of five years. And in return, that buyer usually gets interest. In a world of bonds, that's called coupon payments, but it's just interest. And then after five years, they're going to get their one million yen back. That, that's the basics. And these kind of simple... Straight bonds are issued by both com- corporations and by local and national governments. So it's very simple and very common. Now, what Sailor issued was not a straight bond, but a convertible bond. And a convertible bond is a little bit more complicated because a convertible bond has something called a share option attached to it. And that gives the bondholder, the buyer, at least two options. They can still hold on to the bond until expiry just like a normal bond, and get their they're going to get their interest payments and they're going to get their money back. The, another option is that they can convert the bond into a number of shares in the issuing company. And in this case, the issuing company is Sailor. Now here's the most important point. The number of shares that you get, and thus the implied price per share, is set in advance as part of the bond's terms. And it doesn't matter what the current market price for that stock is. And that in turn means that let's say the price per share is, you know, 100. It's it's called a conversion price. If the conversion price is 100 and the stock is trading at, you know, 150, then you're going to be, then it's a good idea to convert because you're going to be effectively buying these shares at a discount. So if, if you sell the, if you sell the shares that you bought at a discount, you're going to get more money back than you would get if you just hold the bond until expiry and just get your money back. So that's the basic idea. And then on the other hand, if the conversion price is higher than the current market price, then there's no point in converting because you will be paying a premium for each stock. It makes more sense in that case to hold on to the bond until expiry and get your interest, get your money back and use that money to buy the stocks at the current market price, which is lower than. Right. So that's the basic idea. There's a little bit more in in reality. There are some complicating factors. You know, you're losing out on interest payments. There are some transaction costs. But that's the basic idea um, of a convertible bond and when it makes sense. So based on that, let's look at the specifics of the plus seller deal. This is a seven year convertible bond. And that means that PLUS has seven years to decide whether they want to convert. And actually, Sorry. Um, yeah.
0: So when is this bond, when was it issued? Was it issued this year
1: or, or seven years? It before? was issued uh, in July this year and it expires okay. in July 2027. Okay. So, so PLUS has seven years to decide. And actually, if you look at the terms right now, In theory, it would make sense for them to convert right now because the conversion price is 133 yen and Sailor closed at I think 165 on Friday. So right now, at least on paper, it's a very good deal. But to answer your question, I do not think that PLUS has converted the bond to shares yet. And let me explain why that is. In Japan, there is... um, financial regulation that requires large shareholders to disclose, publicly disclose their shareholdings. And they're also required to disclose trades related to that shareholding, to those shares. So in this case, PLUS is required to disclose any trades related to Sailor. And these so-called disclosure reports are actually publicly available. There's a database on a website called Edinet. You can go there and you search for PLUS and you find all the information and you can see that PLUS has not converted and you can see also why. Mm -hmm. And this is where it gets interesting. So I, of course, went there and I looked for these disclosure reports and I found even more information there.
0: Mm.
1: So in the report that I found, it said that PLUS and Sailor have agreed in principle that And this is a very Japanese idea, you know, in principle. And PLUS will convert the CBs into shares if, and this is important, if certain conditions are met. And those conditions are actually listed in this disclosure report. And perhaps the most interesting condition is that sailors, both business divisions, so both the stationary division and the robotics divisions. They both need to have been profitable in the black the preceding financial year. So that's one of the reasons why I don't think PLUS has converted yet. So another reason is that the disclosure report states the transaction date to be the date when we know the CB was issued. And normally for a CB, there is something called a conversion period, which is the time when you are allowed to do this conversion. And usually in Japan for CBs, that starts a few months after issuance. There's one more thing that is quite interesting about this disclosure report. It also says that PLUS has agreed. If they convert, they promise to hold on to the stocks for a long time. It doesn't say well, how long, it just says, you know, chalky. <laughs> have, yes, I love it. They agree to hold on to the stock for a long time, which basically means that even if even if plus could potentially you know um uh, flip and sell the stocks, they are not going to do that. so so they they are they are going to be long term um shareholders majority shareholders in sailor, but yeah, they have not converted yet. And they require sailor sailors both divisions to be profitable the preceding financial year. So, um,
0: I've read on M&A online, yeah, right, which I've shared with you as well. Mm. Um, that actually they they have mm. um, uh, reported, mm. you know, Kaimas. Uh, yeah. Mm. So what does that mean?
1: Right, so what they are referring to is actually this disclosure report So what this website does is that they go to this database which I talked about called Edinet and they look for any, any disclosure reports related to large shareholdings and they write a post about that So in this case, they found they found this disclosure report for PLUS and Sailor. And the thing is, this report is actually quite confusing. I think they they misunderstood because if you look at this report, it says that PLUS currently owns 14%. And if you sum up the current ownership and if you sum up their potential shares, what they would get if they convert, then it becomes more than 50%. So I think they misunderstood the disclosure report.
0: Okay, uh,
1: you mean forty percent? They own like
0: forty-three percent right now. No, right? they own fourteen, I think. Fourteen. Yes. But okay, so the convertible bonds would give them forty percent. So they bought forty percent worth of convertible bonds.
1: Yeah, I, I think. Yeah, uh, I think if they convert, they're going to get just over fifty percent. So it's a little bit less than that, but yes.
0: If so they convert, will be fifty-seven, right? Yeah. Okay. Okay. So, my next question is then, what does that mean for the management of Sailor?
1: Well, they clearly have an incentive now, um, well, if they didn't have it before, to to make sure that their business divisions are profitable. Because if Plus chooses not to convert, if they hold on to this bond for seven years and demand uh, bond redemption, then Pro- Sailor probably doesn't have enough cash on hand to pay back. So they, then they need to issue new bonds. And they might be issue new bonds as they wo- and get worse condition. And, and, you know, it, it's almost like a payday loan for them. So Sailor wants to sell. It's probably much easier for them to, to to let Plus convert because that just means they have to issue new stock. It's easier for them to convert than to, than to pay back uh, the bond
0: okay, and what do you think this would mean for sailor's management team? do you think plus would you know replace the management? because we we saw and we'll, we'll go into the next uh the next part about it but we we did see you know big changes in sailor including their product lineup that we uh, we discussed uh, previously now their corporate identity they've also changed um so i I'm just wondering what does that mean, you know, if they sell, what kind of implications are we looking at for their
1: management? And that's hard hard for me to say. Uh, I think the only thing you can say right now is that Sailor has, has a strong um, incentive to make sure these conditions are met because it, it's easier for them. Now, we have seen, again, we can go into details about what at, what has happened later but we have seen the recent changes at sailor now we don't know yep. because you can't really tell from you know the publicly available information you don't know how much plus influenced those changes but there's a mm-hmm. chance that 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 plus played a central role in, in in that but we don't know right yeah
0: that's really interesting and of course that's a great segue to our next topic, which is the uh, rebranding of Sailor. Now, Sailor has gone through several iterations of branding Mm. in the past, Um, and I was listening to The Pen Addict uh, earlier this week, Mm. and something I didn't notice is that they actually don't use the same font on their box and on their
1: pens. I've never noticed that.
0: Yeah, so on the trim of the pens, it says Sailor, founded 1911, uh, in this kind of serif font. Right, right, right. Kind of like a old black letter font. And uh on the box it's a sans serif like mm. block. It's like a impact or something. I don't I don't know what font it mm. is, but um so I am not convinced that the new uh typeface will make it onto the actual pens. Ah. The logo, however, mm. probably I think should go on the on the pens.
1: At least, I guess, the, the engraving, the anchor engraving probably is going to change, yeah.
0: right? Yeah, I think if it doesn't change, that would be very, very strange. Um, you know, to to use a logo that's no longer your corporate identity. So I guess, um, you know, that would be a huge undertaking in terms of tooling. Now, to, to link that back to what you had said just now... Um, Taylor, obviously, uh, you mentioned is doing quite well. Their 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 stock prices rose a few percentage points from you know July to now. I think it's quite impressive. And then they they are now going to suddenly invest all of this in, into machinery to to change their font, do you, do you, uh, or to change the the anchor engraving. Do you think that's a uh, something that would make sense for them uh, in light of the condition that they should be in the black for both
1: divisions yeah it's an interesting question but we know we know um that they have said that one one of the one of the reasons why they have issued the bonds is that they want to invest more in their in their um in their machinery, machinery. And, and you know the the, the factory in Korea right so so clearly there is investment going on there and at one point i mean I'm sure they have inventory of nibs, but at one point they're going to have to, to make new nibs. And if they're going to upgrade the machinery anyway, maybe this is something they they can do fairly easily.
0: Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, totally agree. And, uh, you know, hopefully that doesn't cost so much, especially if they keep the general shape. So I'd imagine it would be similar to the time that they had their old engravings, which uh, you find quite a lot of, uh, yeah. and then yeah and then uh, and then move to the new new engraving um I think it's particularly interesting from a market perspective uh their new font is i think it targets two segments of the market um now the first segment of the market, which I think is much more obvious to our western audience uh is the kind of wavy um non angular shapes that they're they're applying now and i think this is particularly interesting because what i've read on online and you know other internet uh sources is that a lot of people find that they uh they don't understand they think that it's uh it looks better uh the old one the old one looks better they don't understand what's the point of the the new one however i think when I look at it from a Japanese market perspective, I actually think that it makes a lot of sense because if you look at the logos of um or or the typography of the um different let's say stationary shops, those are actually um especially the, the more uh female oriented shops, those actually enjoy this kind of wavy, uh, kind of non-angular logo and and typeface. And I might be totally wrong, but I I feel like this is trying to almost speak directly to a more feminine audience that they
1: haven't been focusing on in the past. That's possible, um, but I wonder then if the current product lineup... Um, is suitable for that, or if you are going, going to be seeing f- further changes to the to the product lineup with maybe maybe some more interesting yeah. colors. You know, we ha- we have the uh, you know the the four seasons, but other than that, it's still a lot of black and gold with, with some with some burgundy here and there.
0: Yeah, but then when you talk about Sailor I mean when I talk about Sailor, I don't think of the black and gold ones, right? We think of the sparkling, uh sparkly body ones.
1: Yeah, but yeah, but those are but, but those don't have sailor branding anyway, right? They have actually, They do. Do they? Sailor is imprinted on the cap band and it is imprinted on the box. But at least not on a nib, right? There there's, there's some some pretty uh, Sishikura clouds and so on.
0: Yeah. Um so it, it wouldn't be on on the nib or most of the time. So if you do like pentonoto, um some of them have it, Nagasawa some of them have it and then on, you know others they do um you know custom engraving. So of course those are possibilities.
1: I think you also you said that the new Bangbox pen did the Streets for Men have that on the cap band.
0: Yes, the, the Streets for Men did have a uh, did have um Mangara yes on the on the cap band indeed, but I think the overall point that I'm trying to get at here is when you consider sailor as a as a brand mm. when you think of their logo and you have more of these wavy non angular lines that you see in so many other uh stationary um, companies mm. i think it it could be let's say let's let's say it's a nod it's it's a it's not a direct um, speaking to but it, it's a nod to the idea that there aren't um there are more customers mm. than just people who buy black pens right and i think it's interesting also that the new logo the sailor logo is not um in like the black black color right it's it's kind of in a navy blue color that they've mm. always had but on the, the logo where they, um, on the page where they revealed it, it's this kind of pale bluish uh, color, this sky blue color yeah. on on the horizon. Um, so I, I think there's a nod to, to the idea that their customer base is probably not just um, salarymen.
1: And actually related to that, I think we talked about that before, but um, some of those previously like, US exclusive pens, so like Earth and Ocean, have made their way back to Japan. So I wonder if that is a sign of things to come, that we're going to see less black and burgundy and more colorful.
0: Yeah, that, that's that's super interesting uh, um, when when you bring it up.
1: So, yeah. I totally agree.
0: It's uh, it's probably a nod to to that, and it sets them apart from the competition, right? the The second aspect, though, is the old kind of a well, not old but older salaryman type of a uh, of people. There, I think you see their kanji logo is very important because. Um, their kanji logo, as uh, as Daryl had pointed out, is actually very reminiscent of vintage um, kanban, like the storefront kind of uh, uh, typography. So I find that very, very interesting that, you know, they at the same time try to invoke nostalgia in the older fountain pen, um, let's say, collector's. And you know, I think that that's quite smart to to do that at the same time.
1: Mm, yeah, that that's trying to go for both markets. Yeah, maybe that works.
0: Do you maybe see that though? Um, when when you think about uh, Sailor and when you see the new new logo, yeah, I like it. Yeah, it
1: <laughs> it somehow looks both retro and modern at the same time. I like yeah, it.
0: I, I think this is a harken back to the good old days. Let let's say so. Yeah, I think this uh, this typography, uh, yeah, typography really um, tries to target two different segments. Whether it's successful or not, I guess we'll see um, in the sales. But yeah, I think this is actually quite exciting. They're trying to reinvent themselves.
1: Mm. By the way, while we are on the topic of Sailor, I don't think we talked about the fact that they have increased prices, because now that is publicly available, you know, if you go to Maruza they have a list of all the new prices, did we talk about that?
0: Um, I, I think they did it along with the uh, the discontinuation, I'm not sure if we talked about it in mm. particular,
1: but yeah some of those pens are actually really quite expensive now. I think the uh, the Rialo is like 35,000 plus tax. Yeah. So they're not they're not cheap pens now. They're not cheap. I
0: think they had a 5,000 yen uh, increase on I think across the line actually. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. But uh but yeah, that's uh, the new Sailor identity um which I think is honestly quite cool.
1: Yeah, I like it.
0: Okay. Um, next on uh, our kind of news-slash-market front, Boongu Joshi. We've talked about bunga Joshi uh, mm. quite a few times on the show. Um Bungu Joshi is a huge stationary event, uh, mm. usually in December, uh, early uh, November, late uh, early December. So, the sorry, late November, early December. Um, and it's, it's one of the biggest. It's, it's fantastic. It's fantastically and hilariously huge. It's like 35,000 yeah. people last year, right? Yeah. So they've actually put out now a crowdfunding plea because, and it's kind of confusing reading their, their mm-hmm. crowdfunding um, page, but it seems like they don't have enough cash to keep running after this year.
1: Yeah, I, I read it too, and I am equally confused. So there are a few things I do understand. I do understand that they had to cancel at least one event this year. There was, I think, it was an event planned in Sendai, and they had to cancel that, or well, they turned it into an uh, online event. But they had to, had to cancel the, the the actual, you know, event, and there were costs associated with that. Maybe they still had to pay for the venue and. And so on. I understand that there was at least a one time cost there. I also understand there are higher costs than before and you're making less money because there are fewer tables and there are fewer attendees. So I understand that that has changed things for them. But what is not clear to me is whether they need to cover this like one time cost because they had to to, to cancel events this year, or if they are sort of trying to run the big Bongo Joshi Haku event as before, even though that means, you know, uh, losing money on that event. So I think um, from what we know about Japanese
0: um, event organizers in general, uh, they don't really like to change um the way they were running things, I would say. So from what I understood, they want to keep running Bungu Haku as it was. And they want to keep doing it again next year as well. And for this year, they were able to hold it somehow. But um, but by holding it, it means that they will have run out of cash completely and will probably be bankrupt next year.
1: Right. But but is that just a cash flow problem, or is it, or is that 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 they would be losing money on this event?
0: Well, I mean, this is not clear, and you know probably they would be losing money, so maybe it in- indicates it's not profitable this year and and they would be in big trouble next year, so they' say they need to raise some money right That's I think the point uh, but I think it's interesting that they're then doing crowdfunding um to to try to raise funds for their their company basically by selling these crowd funded um tickets to this year's Bungu Joshi. now I, I i'm looking at this uh green funding uh site and i see that they have 21 days left and they're 74% through to their goal. So they've raised about um, 2.2 million Japanese yen. It's quite impressive, to be honest. And there's something like T-shirts and, and, and things like this. Um, A lot of this seems to be... I mean, 37 people backed this $130 um, ticket pack...
1: What do you think about the strategy in general? So one thing I'm wondering if is how much of this has to do with them not being able to cancel and change venues. So for example, I'm thinking about hmm. like last year. Last year we had a Tokyo International Pen Show, and the day after, actually when when Tokyo Pen Show was still going on, was still going on, and Wagner's autumn, small autumn pen show was happening, right? And uh, and Morrison wrote yep. in his blog that the reason for that was that he had to book this venue, which was you know KFC Hall, I think at more than one year in advance, and it was not easy to change that. So, you know, looking at back at Bungo Joshi, I mean the. The first thought would be, you know, why don't you change the venue, change the format? But it may be that they are sort of locked in and, and unable to change the venue for a while. And that might be why they either have to go ahead as planned or, you know, cancel the whole thing. Mm.
0: I, I think, you know, th- there are obviously a bunch of different business implications that we don't have to go th- uh, through today. But the future of stationary and stationary events probably has to be reimagined. Um, When reading this, you know, Bungajoshi, as we've said many times, is absolutely massive. I think they haven't really, uh, they didn't save up for a rainy day. And, you know, obviously all these cancellations will make an impact on their bottom line, but I think they might start to be more careful with how they invest their money. And, um, probably even opt for smaller venues or even, you know, integrate more of the online. So what I hope is that they would integrate more of the online um, events or even host uh, events online in parallel to the physical events so that people who aren't able to go to Tokyo to the actual venue would still be able to buy tickets and attend, maybe at a cheaper ticket price um and still be able to to buy stuff from the vendors so that the event overall can uh can generate more revenue
1: another thing i'm wondering i think we talked about that online but we know because we talked about it recently we know that bongi Joshi also runs the the inkunuma ink yes. show right and we don't know if that event is profitable or not but assuming it is i mean we know it's very popular Assuming it is, I, I definitely think there will be room for more than one Inkunuma per year, especially given how, how often Tone and Limbs is, is, is or planning to do various events, right? So I, I wonder if that is something they, they could potentially experiment with.
0: Yeah, absolutely. All right. So, um, you know, as always, we have to have a Mori bashing
1: segment. So here we go. Yes, yeah, so early this year, and we actually talked talked about that in an earlier podcast. He, so first of all, uh, he does these collaborations with uh, Fine Writing International in in Taiwan, and early this year he um, he uh, released a this year's edition, which is a very long pen because apparently he's very much into like desk pen. Or or pens that are as long as desk pens. And he thought that would be a big hit. So he probably announced that. And that would be the special pen for this Wagner's Spring Pen Show. Um, But then apparently, as far as I can tell, didn't sell that well. Because the same pen was also the, the Wagner's Autumn Event pen and now the autumn event has already happened but that's still a pen that he's actively trying to sell and he seems to be trying to sell it with various nib options now most recently with this Amabie nib and the, 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 the turtle nib so I have a feeling that it's not doing that well and we also know from a recent blog post that he was sort of complaining that his overseas customers are mostly interested in Japanese pens so that implies you know the the platinum editions that he's doing doing and not so interested in you know the Taiwanese and other foreign brands
0: right yeah I think it's just absolutely genius that you know it was the spring pen but because it didn't sell now it's the autumn Mm. pen uh I I think the main problem is that it's not very exciting as a, as a pen mm. um and the way that he's trying to sell it demands a lot of add-ons and accessories yeah. and you know we talked about this last time as well you know maybe people just have had enough of of uh mori's kind of overly commercial mm. uh approach to his blog nowadays where it's it's not that interesting for for the collectors who want really special stuff and you know i think he's maybe he's a bit out of touch of the market i mean obviously his overseas customers want to buy japanese pens yeah i mean it seems like a no-brainer to me but apparently
1: was a surprise to him and i also think that i mean the main problem with this pen it has nothing to do with a pen making, and we we know Fine Writing International makes fantastic pens. We have talked about them in several episodes. We're both big fans of Fine Writing International, especially mm-hmm. their faceted brass pens. They're just fantastic. We love them. I think the yep. problem here is the, the concept, this idea that the, sort of a, a, a dark, long desk pen-like pen would be a smash hit.
0: Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it doesn't fit in my penches. So. Yeah,
1: there's that. And it just, yeah, it just doesn't look that interesting. The idea was that he would sell various, I think There's the middle part Barrels, of the right? pen barrel. It's actually, it's apparently yeah. removable. He was going to sell various options. But I haven't seen anything of that yet. And the, the standard one, you know, the, what's it, the gray, brown, blackish, it's hard to tell because, again, he's scanning his photos. But, um, Yeah, the pen doesn't look that interesting. And I think that's more of a a problem with with the the concept, the design behind the pen rather than the manufacturing. Yeah, I'm
0: sure the manufacturing is fantastic because, you know, Fine Writing International just makes fantastic pens. But, you know, we'll see. Uh, Maybe it will be the spring pen again uh, in (sighs) April because he wouldn't have sold
1: these pens. Mm. I'm also wondering, wondering what the next platinum pen would look like because he normally does a few of those. I haven't seen anything about an, about whatever the next platinum pen would look like. And I think it was very interesting that for, for the blue one, the Wagner 2020 platinum pen, he, he only offered it with a medium nib. And the reason for that is that platinum would not offer them any other any other types of nibs. And previously, as you know, Wagner has had music nibs, uh, soft fines, yep. and all kinds of interesting nib options, but none of that was possible this time, so it was not his choice. It was what Platinum offered them, so... Uh, maybe
0: maybe there was a inventory issue where Platinum just had extra medium nibs, and they just want to get rid of them. It's a possibility.
1: That's, that's possible, but what we know, as we talked uh, one or two episodes ago, that um, um, Kobayashi recently announced yep. their store exclusive platinum, which I guess is also like low, relatively low volume panel, and they get all of the exciting mm. new options. <laughs> yeah. So who knows?
0: Yep. Um, you know, we'll, we'll see. We'll see in a bit. Are you going to the autumn event? I don't think I will go.
1: Now, I think that's already happened, right? But wasn't that? In September?
0: Oh, that was the yeah, one. Yeah, I
1: think so. so. So I think the next one, there are some small regional events in like um, in Saitama and, and elsewhere. But I think the next major Wagner event is the year-end event, which is like December 30th or 31st.
0: Yeah, so I'm not going to that mm. one. <laughs> um. So yeah, Wagner, I'll see you next February. I guess so. Uh... Yeah, um, yeah, that's a shame. But you know, the exciting things that I learned at Wagner are probably the um, smaller vendors or like the smaller enthusiasts that make pens. Yeah. Uh, one of them is Pen Saloon. Yes. Right, and he made with in collaboration with Gary the fantastic um, light blue black keyboard. Oh home. yes. And this time he collaborated with uh with Ex-Eboya, um, Kanesaki, right?
1: Yeah, and, and this is actually the, the second pen he's done together with with, with Kanasaki. And we talked about Kanasaki before. He is probably one of the most skilled, if not the most skilled like craft, pen craftsman in Japan. He he can he can create anything out of Ebonite, basically, right? And he, he runs his repair shop. He charges an arm and a leg, but he can repair any pen, right? And... He also does some pens uh, on commission and so he worked with Pen Saloon. And earlier this year, I think it was earlier this year, he, Pen Saloon and Kanasaki um, released this Yorinoshirbe pen, which was ebonite and Kyoto opal, which is sort of this uh, sparkly material. Yeah. So it was a cap. In a barrel, but no nib and no section. But it was meant to fit sailor, pilot, and platinum sections. So they sold that. It's quite expensive. I think about fi- more than 50,000 yen. I think it was some price variation there, but depending on options. But it's quite expensive. I think it's sold out because he's not talking about it anymore. And now there's a follow-up model which is called Yoru no Mizukagami. This is also, which is also... Uh, um, Ebonite and Kyoto Opal I think it's a bit smaller this time Because it's meant to fit pilot number 5 size Or sailor like standard size sections And it looks a little bit more elaborate Than the first pen there, there, There's some almost like bamboo-like patterns there It looks quite good It's even more expensive I think a 60,000 yen
0: I definitely like this pen much more than the previous one Yeah I think uh John was uh it was too contrasted I yes. think. Um the the middle section of the bar- uh, barrel just kind of jumps out at you with this pale um bluish thing. Yeah. And uh and it was a bit too much. This one is a lot more subtle. Um and I mean the gold hardware is really kind of a I I find it a bit too much for mm. me. Because it's so thick. But, you know, it's, as you say, a very well done pen. I think this pen looks a lot better. Mm. It's interesting. It kind of reminds me of Eboya's own um, bamboo.
1: Yes, 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 it does.
0: Yeah. And, of course, Kanasaki used to be... Uh, he used to work at Eboya. Um, the clip is, I think, particularly interesting. Um, when I look at this these pictures, it seems that... The cap is seamless, so you have to insert the clip and then you use uh you use a screw to, to screw it into the, the the cap rather than removing a finial. Mm. Oh, so that's kind of like uh harkens back to the ebonite pens of old. Oh, yeah, yeah. Also I think the cap has a um flat spot on it. Yeah, right? I
1: saw that. It looks interesting. And I don't really
0: know why there is a cap like there's a flat spot on the cap. Like it it, it doesn't really make sense to me from a, a design perspective, but you know, that's just how the pen is made. So, you know, I can't mm. really complain about that. It does look very good, but I will say that it doesn't have that glossy polishing that you love about the ebonite. mm That's true. Um, it's more of a bl- matte um, black Ebonite.
1: I wonder if that is a design choice or if it's just he doesn't have the the, the tooling to polish.
0: I'm sure he can polish it, Mm. um, but he probably wants to make the barrel uh, kind of stand out a Mm. bit more. So I do understand that choice.
1: Yeah, I must say, and I agree with you that um, I like the fact that it's not as contrasty. and, And not just because, you know, the light blue and dark looked kind of strange next to each other but also the fact that the first version you could often see the converter right oh okay Uh, here it's harder to harder to see so uh, for that reason i i I like the design of this one better
0: yeah i think it would be interesting if uh you know manufacturers from the west could start using kyoto opel i think that would be very cool Mm. um but you know they probably never heard of it so
1: I know that uh, Hiroko experimented with that as an alternative to to Raden. I can't remember how that went, but but there's definitely some some sparkliness in this material. All
0: right, so we'll have to ask her next time definitely. we see her. Before we close out the the episode, um, Hiroko actually asked us uh, for a favor. Um, so we have uh, or she has created a um, spare for. The pilot Justice ninety five, and um, she's created it in the same kind of uh, gold ingots and the uh, Ishime finish, but this time yeah. in red. Now the pen itself is extremely striking with a uh, red urushi and uh, and gold powder. So I think the the pen is stunning. Um, she's made this extra. Uh, replacement barrel mm. and cap. So, if you have a um, Pilot Justice 95 and you would be interested in a Bokmondo mm. pen, I think this is a great opportunity because the, the cost of the design is usually around $500 mm. and you have to wait around five to six yeah. months. Um, she is offering it for sale for $400 mm. and so you'll get an extra barrel and cap. Whereas if you send it to you, obviously you don't lose the barrel and cap, but you, know, you don't get to use mm-hmm. the black one again. So this is kind of like a plug and play for, for anybody who has a Pilot Justice 95. Um, and Jacob, I think you, you have the pictures, so we can link that yeah. to the show notes. So if, if anybody is interested in purchasing
1: this pen, uh, how should they do that? Uh, they can contact yeah, just you or me and me, and and we'll we'll sort it out. And what I will add to what you said is that if you want this, if you don't already have a, a pilot justice and you want it, so you want to pay with the pen it, we, we we can we can find a a, a justice on on uh, in Japan on Amazon or whatever where prices are are better than in pretty much anywhere else. So we, we can yeah. we can also um. We can also sell it a whole pen. Yes. So um, with that being
0: said, uh, if we are sending it to the U.S., uh, I'll have to ship it to my mother, um, I think either next week or the week mm. after, so that it can arrive in the U.S. by November. Otherwise, we can use Yamato yeah. uh, to send it, um, but with no ink. So uh, that wouldn't be a problem at all. But yeah. Uh, we'll post pictures of this pen. I personally, I I think it's stunning. Obviously, I have the black version. You have a black version
1: of yeah. this as well. Um, how do you think the red works? So I, I, when I heard about it, I thought it would be a little bit too sort of with red, but I think it really, really works. So I like it. Yeah, it, it's it's absolutely
0: beautiful. Uh, you've got to see mm. pictures of this. This is uh <laughs> this is a crazy um piece of art that she's done, and as usual, she's outdone herself. It might be sold by the time this episode
1: comes out. Though.
0: Okay, so, uh, <laughs> yeah. If it's not sold yet, uh, you better, um, you know, jump on that because we we just we know how popular Bokmondo is yeah. in the pen world. You know, she started doing Ureshi um, on mostly um, sheaths, so like sword sheaths, and you know, sometimes fishing equipment, stuff like that. She's told us that um, 99% of her work now is pen's. Yeah. and when we first met her I think uh, more than a year ago now almost two years ago you know the, the turnaround was like a few weeks now it's like five six months yeah, yeah so yeah. so we know that you know she's just exploding in popularity yeah so if you want that um, hop on that very soon uh, I have nothing else uh, to say um, Jacob
1: uh, the only thing I want I wanted to say is that one of our favorite podcasts, the Nib Section, is back, and we're we're happy about that.
0: Oh yes, and uh, and thank you for the shout out uh, on the latest episode of the Nib Section. Hopefully, you know what I I I think the ideal would be if we were if we release on alternating weeks, so we can have Nib Section and then us um every week. That would be really cool. Oh yes that's good yeah. so the nip section of your listening please uh, release on alternate <laughs> weeks from us <laughs> that's our uh, final housekeeping item of the day yes and uh, with that my name is CY you can find me on my website at tokyostationpens.com on my Instagram at tokyostationpens or on
1: Twitter at tokyostationmnh and my name is Jacob and I'm foodofan on Instagram and on Twitter and I have a blog at foodofan.com alright bye 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 bye